0: Hey, hey, y'all. It's me, Robin. And just real quick before we get to today's episode, if you are loving listening to the podcast, or maybe you don't know because you've just pressed play for the first time ever, but if you like to listen to things in your earbuds, you are going to be so happy to know that Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors is now released as an audiobook. You can get it in Audible, or wherever else you get your audiobooks. And of course, you can still get it in print and ebook. If you go to slash book, it's going to give you all the options, including that you could order a signed copy from my local bookstore. Alrighty, y'all. Here's that podcast episode you're waiting for. Hey y'all, welcome back to the Parenting After Trauma podcast. It's me, I'm Robin. I am excited to just be sort of taking a break in the middle of a pretty hectic day to get centered with myself, connect with you in front of this microphone and just sort of like cancel out the rest of the world for a few minutes while I just think about you. Today, what I'm really excited, like unusually excited for, to talk about is the concept of scaffolding. And you might be like, what? Scaffolding? Why is that exciting? How is that going to help me? How does that fit in with what Robin usually talks about? And I promise all of that will be totally clear by the end of the episode. And yes, I love the concept of of scaffolding, I think it offers us so many possibilities, so many ways to see clearly what's really happening and why our kids are struggling so much. And then it gives us almost like a roadmap to what does this child need for their success to be inevitable? That's the question I'm always asking myself. What does this child need for their success to be inevitable? And Always recognizing that whatever I come up with as the answer to that question, it might be impossible. It, there might be things that this child needs that are just literally not possible. They th- Those things don't actually exist or I can't access them. Or because of the circumstances of our real lives, it's, it's just not possible. But I've think that finding the answer to that question, even if it ends up being impossible, is still super helpful because the answer to that question is so telling. It gives us a lot of good ideas about what we could do different, like what could be possible. And I also think it helps us stay focused on the truth. And it's not that... This child is misbehaving intentionally or has some, you know, sneaky, manipulative, controlling ulterior motive. It's that they don't have what they need in order to be successful in this moment. And that could be a lot of different things. Again, it could be more regulation, more connection, more felt safety, more skills, but we can scaffold all of those things. So I'll get practical. We'll give some real examples. I mean, think about this just to get started with. Like, How would you make it inevitable for your kids to be able to play together, maybe even unsupervised, without hurting each other? right? And maybe you're feeling like, well, that's not possible. Okay. Maybe it isn't possible, but what would they need in order for that to be possible? Or what would your kid need in order to comply with your screen time rules, rules to, you know, operate within inside like the stated boundaries of your family agreements? What would your kid need in order to not take things that don't belong to them. So there's all these behaviors that are coming up and rightfully so they're stressful to us. They're frustrating to us. It feels like we need to do something to change those behaviors. And oftentimes that's really true that they're, the impact of those behaviors is, is too big. And we really do need to figure out a way to like, how do we shift and change some of these behaviors? but because our own watchdog brain gets invited to the party when our kids are doing things like hurting their siblings or not following the rules or taking things that don't belong to them. And, you know, rightfully so, the first thing that happens for us is our own watchdog brain kind of comes to the party. Right. And if we parent from that watchdog brain, like we, we hang out there and we stick in our watchdog brain instead of ourselves coming back into our own owl brain, We end up labeling those behaviors as things like, I can't trust this child, or they're just sneaky, or we make like these sweeping negative character kind of generalizations like it's it's about their character as opposed to a lack of skill or something that we need to help them with and i'm a real big believer in staying in our owl brain staying open and curious like what is the real problem here and what are some steps that we could do to actually solve this problem and It would take a lot to convince me that the problem is just that the child can't be trusted. We have to get even bigger into that behavior. What what does that mean? The child can't be trusted. They're taking something that doesn't belong to them. Okay. Well, the first thing I always ask myself is like, well, why don't I take things that don't belong to me? Right? Like when I see something I want, but it's not mine, what keeps me from... Taking that thing. Well, there's a lot of things that help me have the impulse control to not take something just because I want it. A lot of things. And some of what helps me do that is simply a nervous system that isn't like running away from me at the speed of a runaway freight train. Like I have the time to pause and think to myself like, oh gosh, I would really like to have that person's chocolate bar. Oh, it looks so good. And it's just sitting there next to them. I mean, I could just go over and take it and then what's going to happen? I mean, what are they really going to do? Right. Well, why don't I do that? Well, because I have a uh, working concept of boundaries. I have the ability to take that pause and even ask that question at all, as opposed to having already just taken it. I have a concept of ownership, like what's mine is mine and what yours is yours. I have a, uh, I have an awareness of the potential. Consequence that will happen if I take something that doesn't belong to me. Like that person's going to get mad at me if I'm in a position where it's possible I'm, I might get in trouble. Right. And for me to care about getting in trouble when I want something right now, I have to have. Enough regulation in my own nervous system that it's possible for me to care about what's going to happen in the future, even if the future is like thirty seconds into the future, right? I want the chocolate bar now, and that's one second into the future where I could take it and start eating it right and so the capacity to care about something that's going to happen in the future and to to even think about the thing that's going to happen in the future, but then to care about it is a whole other thing too. There's so much regulation involved. That is such a big, big, big owl skill. So what if the child who is taking things who that don't belong to them, what if that isn't about trust? What if that's about the child needing more co-regulation, probably more structure and boundaries, and more skills? And what if we could look at that behavior, not about them being sneaky or untrustworthy, or they can't be trusted. I can't ever take my eyes off this child. Or the second I take my eyes off of them, or the second I'm not right there watching what they're doing, they're doing the things they're not supposed to be doing, right? We we make all these generalizations that are typically negative. When what if it's really about the fact that when I'm not there supervising, my child doesn't have enough co-regulation, enough... Connection to their owl brain to have the impulse control that's needed, to have the proverbial pause before doing something they're not supposed to do. Before, you know, they need their brain, to, they need the co regulation in their nervous system to be slow enough that they can remember that what happens 10 seconds from now is going to be real different than what happens one second from now when I take the candy bar and eat it. What happens 10 seconds from now? is that somebody's going to find out and be upset. And that it actually requires a lot of regulation to be in a space of your brain, like I said, to even think about that, let alone to care about that. So that child, actually what they need is more scaffolding. Okay. And I will take you through what that might look like in this situation, as well as in other situations. So what actually even is scaffolding? Um, Scaffolding is a word that I first uh, came into contact with through like the education field and learning about teaching. I'm married to an educator and obviously teaching is a huge part of what I do. Um, So scaffolding is about giving somebody what they need in order to be successful. And then I'm interrupting the show real quick because if you happen to be a new listener, you might find yourself being a little overwhelmed by all this information. That makes total sense. I mean, there's like 150 episodes plus all the free resources that are available over my website. It's just a lot. So many folks have asked me, where do I start? So I created a separate podcast stream called Start here. What I did is I took the 10 episodes that I want you to listen to first, and then I want you to listen to in this specific order, and I put them into a separate podcast stream so that you don't have to search for them. You can just press play and they'll play one after the other after the other. If you go to robingobel.com slash start here, you'll be able to get an invitation to subscribe, and then you'll be able to listen right in the same podcast app you're using right now. Robingobel.com slash start here. Sequentially kind of decreasing that scaffolding as the child demonstrates an increase in their competence and independence. From a very practical perspective, think about scaffolding in a very literal sense, right? Like the scaffolding a painter would set up outside to be able to paint, you know, the whole height of a wall or a building, right? That scaffolding is in a way like raising the floor for the painter because they can't reach the top otherwise, right? So, the scaffolding is supporting, it's providing exactly what that person needs in order to be able to do the job. And it's making an assumption, the scaffolding is making an assumption that if we just give this person what they need, they'll be able to do the job, which is to paint the top of this building, right? So scaffolding in an education world is similar. And so scaffolding from a parenting perspective, what I would say is the parenting steps that we can take to slowly and sequentially increase our kids' competence and independence. Now, we're scaffolding our kids all the time about everything, social skills, um, academic skills, language skills, uh, ev- everything that our kids are you know, growing and learning and developing, it, it has an element of scaffolding through to it. Uh, right, like kids, in a way, kind of scaffold of their own learning how to walk. Right, as they move through their these different development milestones, and ultimately, they have the balance, the you know visual skills, the motor skills, the muscles that allow for independent walking. I think a really easy activity that helps us see kind of the steps of scaffolding is learning how to ride a bike, right? So when our kids are first learning how to ride a bike, we don't just pull out the two wheeler, hand it to them and say, best of luck to you, right? Maybe a child on their own would eventually figure that out, but probably not. It will be so frustrating And so to stick with it long enough to be successful at it is going to be darn near impossible for most kids, especially, right? So we don't just pull out the two wheeler and say, Hey, good luck and leave and walk away. What what do we do to help our kids be scaffolded to eventually ride a two wheeler? Well, a lot of our kids had other kind of bikes when they were even younger. Maybe they started with like a, like a big wheel or a tricycle, Right. And so they are starting to be scaffolded on things that move and have wheels because that could be pretty, you know, discombobulating to the system if you've never been on something with with wheels that you are operating yourself. Right. So they've been they've experienced success uh, being on something with wheels like a, a tricycle or um like a like a big wheel. It was just those little, you know, things that we can buy buy for younger kids, um that have wheels and move around. And then when we start to get real intentional about like prepping to learn how to ride a two-wheeler, we put training wheels on the two-wheeler, right? And then we make those training wheels like uneven so that the child has to now start to notice and practice their balance, right? They they're learning how to regulate their own balance, to like notice when their body is feeling off balance and then what do they need to do to get back into balance, right? And then we take those training wheels off eventually. And what do we often do at first is we still kind of like run behind the child on their bike and we hold on. And when they get up to a good speed, we let go. And then what happens? They fall down. Right. So there's this almost always inevitable aspect of scaffolding in which... There's a fall, you know, and learning to ride a bike, there's a literal fall, and so many other aspects of scaffolding and learning new skills. There's more of like a proverbial fall. Um, but with learning to ride a bike, you literally fall. And then as the parent, as the person who's providing the scaffolding, I have to ask myself, did I really like remove the scaffolding? Did I decrease the scaffolding too quickly? Or was this just the right pace? And now my job is not so much to scaffold the skill, but to provide the co-regulation that happens during inevitable, you know, falls or failures or setbacks or or whatever you want to call them. Because that's an inevitable part of decreasing the scaffolding is that there's going to be the either literal or proverbial fall, right? So, you know, something that Uh, As an adult, I've been really working on with scaffolding is my aerial silks skills, right? Like I've told y'all, I take aerial silks classes. I have since about 2018. And now I teach beginner aerial silks students and beginners, of course, need so much scaffolding and there's skills on the silks. There's strength. There's balance. There's so many different elements that go into aerial silks. And as, you know, as a student myself, but as also teaching brand new students, I'm, I'm really thinking a lot about like, what's, what's the scaffolding that's needed. If, if I want the student to eventually be able to do this very advanced skill, what do they need to learn first? And again, it's not just skills, although that's an important one, right? There is before I get to uh, drop, I have to learn the skills of climbing. I have to learn the skill that wraps me into that drop in a safe way. There's these skills that are scaffolded, but there's also my confidence that's scaffolded along the way. There's my literal strength that's scaffolded. There's my grip strength that's scaffolded. There are so many things that are being scaffolded along the way that are paving the way for a, a certain skill to ultimately be achieved. And this concept of scaffolding, it really can apply. I My guess is that any behavior challenge that comes to mind for you with your kid, we could think about what is the scaffolding that this child would need in order for their success to become inevitable. Again, I'm not promising we could actually do those things, but I do believe we could at least answer that question. And then that, again, it gives us some good ideas about maybe what we could do, but it also helps us understand why our kids are struggling. So something like playing unsupervised, right? Like, wouldn't we love as our kids get older that we don't have to provide them with 100% you know, toddler level supervision, toddler parenting is super active. When our kids get to be older, eight, nine, 10, 15, 16, 17, we'd really like to not have to actively parent them so much. Very reasonable hope and goal as a parent. It's just that not all of our kids have the skills that they need to be able to have social experiences Unsupervised, to be able to share, to be able to compromise, to um, understand what is happening in the person that they're playing with so that they can understand the feelings and the motives of that other person. There are so many complexities that are involved in a social experience, and the social experience could be with their sibling. And so, maybe what you see is if you are right there playing right with your child, they are being, you know, successful or as successful as you could imagine that they would be. But the second you walk away or the second you're in a different room or the second you take a phone call or heaven forbid you have to go to the bathroom, like everything just hits the fan. Right. And there's this feeling of like, oh my gosh, the second I look away, I can't even look away. I can't trust them. But what's really happened is they were getting co-regulation from you, even if you weren't actively participating. But if you were actively participating in the play, you definitely were giving them co-regulation. But even if you weren't actively participating, you, you were still giving them passive co-regulation, which I talked about in the last episode about what co-regulation really is. So that co-regulation that they're getting actively or passively is allowing them to have access to their, their highest developed owl brain and your kid's owl brain might not be as, as developed as their same age peers, but, but the co-regulation that you're giving them is giving them like the highest access to the highest part of their owl brain. And then you walk away and now that co-regulation is gone and they really needed that co-regulation to be connected to their owl brain and know how to share and know how to, Ask for help when their sibling took their toy instead of just walloping their sibling over, you know, upside their head because they took their toy, right? All of those things come from having enough co-regulation. So when we leave our kids unsupervised and, you know, everything goes awry, it's not because you can't trust them. It's because the lack of supervision inherently means a lack of offering them co-regulation. And they simply just don't have enough internalized co-regulation yet to be able to stay regulated enough that they stay connected to their owl brain, even when things get a little bit stressful. And playing with other children actually is pretty stressful. It's a lot of complex skills that go into playing, right? So maybe the scaffolding your child needs is that they actually can't be unsupervised, that your children have to play while you are right there. They always have to be right there in front of you. And maybe another portion of the scaffolding is that you reframe what, how you label the misbehavior. If you, you know, do, because you're human and you have to go to the bathroom and so you leave and you go to the bathroom and, um, and then things erupt in your mind, you know that like, oh, of course that happens. They lost their co-regulation and then they couldn't navigate these complex social experiences anymore. It makes so much sense that that happened. that shifts in so much how we respond. And that doesn't mean we don't like set a boundary, right? It doesn't mean like all bets are off and okay, our kids are just wild animals and they can do whatever they want to. It doesn't mean that at all, it, but reframing the origin of the behavior changes so significantly what we think about our kids. And then that changes the energy that we have when, when we respond to them. Uh, So similarly think about, you know, if you have a child who struggles with taking things that don't belong to them, uh, I have a similar opinion that, that, that is almost certainly about a child who simply doesn't have the skills and the internalized co-regulation to be able to withstand the temptation to not take something that they want. All of us want what we want when we want it. This is true about all humans. This is not wanting what you want when you want it is not an indication of a spoiled person or some like morally corrupt person. All of us want what we want when we want it. It's just that those of us with big, strong owl brains can regulate through The feeling of wanting what we want when we want it, not doing things that are breaking the rules, and also the disappointment of not getting what we want, because disappointment's a huge feeling and it can be real hard to regulate through, right? So when your kid takes something that doesn't belong to them, part of what happened is an inability to kind of dampen that impulse of I want that, I will take that. It happened so fast, right? That there was no time for the owl brain to think about all the other things, right? Like the social social ways we agree to interact with other humans on the planet, which is that like, I have my things, you have your things. And we don't take them, take from each other without asking, right? It's just, that's kind of this implicit agreed upon rule um, as a human. And, but we didn't, we didn't always know that, right? We, We were scaffolded To learn that, we understand boundaries. We understand yours versus mine. I understand how it impacts somebody if I take something that's theirs without them asking or consenting. I understand and care about how that could impact my relationship with them. All of these are very complex owl brain skills that require a lot of internalized regulation to be able to access all of those skills. Not to mention the regulation of getting through the feeling of disappointment when I want something and I can't have it, which again is a feeling you and I are are dealing with multiple times a day. Like life is about wanting things that you can't have and regulating through the disappointment of that. And, but disappointment is also a very big, overwhelming, uncomfortable feeling that perhaps your kid doesn't have enough internalized regulation yet to get through that, to to tolerate that feeling. So to avoid the feeling of disappointment, they take things that don't belong to them, right? So this is all about skills. This is all about having enough regulation on board, enough internalized co-regulation that I can use my owl brain to navigate these complex settings same thing same with like uh, adhering to any rule right that you know teenagers are struggling younger kids not just teenagers are struggling with with screen time rules because it's really hard to turn off screens because we really want them because they're designed to make our brains really want them and sometimes us as grown-ups have Enough owl brain, enough regulation on board that even when we don't want to turn off the screens, we do it anyway because we know it's time to move on, or it's time for dinner, or you know, we've we've binged watched eight episodes on Netflix. And at this point, it's like having watched, you know, the Lord of the Rings four times because that's how long we've been watching TV, right? And it's hard to stop doing something that you like doing or not doing something you really want to do like screen time. And regulating through how hard it is not to do something you want to do is a very advanced skill that requires a lot of internalized regulation. And so, if I have a child who's struggling by taking things that aren't don't belong to them, or struggling not to comply with screen time rules. One of the things I need to do is think about, well, well, where's the breakdown in co-regulation and do I need to do it kind of like the proverbial toddler proofing, right? Like we don't blame toddlers for taking things off of the end table and breaking them, right? We realize, whoops, shouldn't have left that out. Toddlers Can't regulate through the impulse to touch, to feel, to see, to be curious. They don't have a sense of yours and mine. It's just a thing, a thing that's there and that's to be explored. And I know it sounds bananas to think that that could be true about your 10 year old's brain or your 15 year old's brain, but it could be because they could simply be lacking the skills and the internalized co-regulation that come along with all the things I just mentioned, (laughs) you know, especially the boundaries of like yours versus mine toddlers don't know yours versus mine. It's just, Ooh, that's a thing. Let me check it out. Right. And we don't get mad at them or blame them for that. We toddler proof. And so our bigger kids sometimes need that too. And they need things that they can't have access to. They need to not have access to them. So we might have to put those things away or, get them out of our house or put them even behind, you know, some sort of lock. If there's something that our kids are taking that don't belong to them. And it seems like nothing that we're doing is getting through to them. Then what you've learned is they just simply don't have the impulse control not to take that thing. And now it's my job to put that thing away or put it behind even a lock so that that child can't get to it. And similar with, with screen time rules right? Do all devices need to come to me at 8 PM because that's the screen time rule. And it's just too tempting. and My kid can't comply. Do I turn the Wi-Fi off? Do you know, there's, there's ways that we provide the co-regulation and then there's ways that we set the structure and boundaries for when we can't be giving co-regulation just like toddler proofing, right? Like I put up the gate so that, on those moments when I'm not providing 100% co-regulation to my toddler. And I do have to like run to the bathroom or take a telephone call, I put the gate up so that my toddler doesn't fall down the stairs during the moments when I can't offer the co-regulation. So it's the same idea here. Scaffolding is one of the primary ways that we can really do those like bicep curls for the owl brain. It not only helps us reframe our kids' behavior, pulls us out of judgment, pulls us out of pulls us out of our own watchdog brain, right? Like if we can stay curious enough that we're looking at our ch- child's behavior and being and saying to ourselves, like, huh, wonder what's happening there? Like, what's the skills my child need in order to be successful? That's about an adult who's still in their owl brain. and that's an adult who's still offering co-regulation, right? So not only is that true when, you know, with one of the intentions or purposes behind thinking about co-regulation. But then offering the scaffolding is another form of co-regulation, right? Scaffolding is a form of co-regulation. We've been talking about scaffolding, or not scaffolding, we've been talking about growing the owl brain in the club this month and looking at all these different ways to not necessarily respond to our kids challenging behaviors, but what are the things that we need to do to like exercise and grow their owl brain so that the challenging behaviors won't happen as often or with, you know, such intensity. So I call that growing the owl brain. So we've been talking about that all month. And one of the strategies for growing the owl brain is scaffolding. But I didn't talk about that this month because scaffolding is so much fun. Like scaffolding to me feels like almost like a, like a strategy game. It feels like a puzzle. And I like things that feel like a puzzle, like, Ooh, how can I figure this out? And that's how scaffolding feels to me. Like the idea of looking at a challenging behavior that everybody else is baffled or overwhelmed by and, and, and me staying in my own owl brain and saying like, huh, what is this child missing? What skills are they missing? What co-regulation are they missing? And how do we give that to them? It just feels like I said, it feels like this little strategy game. And I love like the thrill of the hunt in a way of how can I break it down? Like, how can I break down what's really happening in this kid's meltdown or their refusal to do any schoolwork at school or homework? or them running out of the classroom, right? Like where's the missing skill? Where's the missing co-regulation? And once we determine that, then of course the next question is, well, can we offer that, right? How do I scaffold the skill in this child? Because right now I'm just getting mad at a child who keeps falling off their bike when they've never been on anything with wheels before. Right. And I walked away and didn't offer them any encouragement or any support, any co regulation to help them through their frustration. Right. And so, really, you know, that's a huge setup for failure. Like, of course, that child's going to fall down a lot and get maybe so frustrated that they give up. Right. It's because we didn't do what we needed to scaffold them to be able to find the sweet spot of challenge, right? Like scaffolding brings us to the sweet spot of challenge. Scaffolding brings us to that spot of this is hard, but I have, I have enough skills and I have enough successes under my belt and I have enough either actual co-regulation from someone around me or the internalized co-regulation of others to do this hard thing, to try this hard thing even though it's hard, right? And then I have the frustration tolerance to keep trying. And those are skills that we absolutely can teach our kids. Sometimes we just have to go way, 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 way back to basics. Like, Um, one thing that that comes up so often, and then I'm going to wrap it up after this example. But it's one thing that gets brought up so often is kids who don't clean up after themselves, and their rooms are a mess, and that is a skill that can be scaffolded, and we. When we have the opportunity to parent children from a very young age, that is a skill that's scaffolded, right? Like, you know, we're teaching toddlers the cleanup song and we're cleaning up with them, right? We don't walk away from a toddler and say, clean your playroom and I'll be back and think it's going to be anything but extremely much more messy, right? So, that unfortunately could be true about your 10 year old or even your 15 year old that they simply don't have the skills. The actually very complex skills that go along with, you know, being organized enough to put things away, pick them up, having the frustration tolerance, not getting overwhelmed by the mess. Like these are very, very complex skills. And we scaffold that right? When kids are little and we clean up with them and we sing little songs so that we're connected and we're helping to regulate them. And we have bins for where stuff goes. Like we don't expect toddlers to come up with their own organizational system. And so the block, the blocks go here and the cars go here and the crayons go here. And somehow it's really clear they're labeled or or something, or we're helping. And then, you know, maybe you tell your preschooler, like you clean up the matchbox cars and I'll clean up the blocks, right? So you're still together, but you're doing a different task. And then eventually as your kid gets older, maybe you are with them in the playroom and you're like, okay, it's time to clean up. How about you clean up the matchbox cars? I'm gonna go and check on your sister and I'll be right back. And you leave for just a minute and then you come back and you say, oh, the matchbox cars are all put away, great. Now it's time to go onto the blocks. So you see how you're still offering all this co-regulation? By coming and going quickly, by giving all these instructions, giving lots of structure, right? And then eventually, truly, this really does happen. I promise kids get to the point where they can mostly clean up by themselves. And maybe they can't. Maybe you do have a teenager who still needs help with the overwhelm of how quickly they can make a mess. And y'all, I'm going to be honest with you. I use this example because this is something that I sometimes need help with. I have a very clear memory of probably about mm, 10 years ago, taking my home office and literally taking everything out of it and putting it into the living room that it was adjoining to. And my husband had to scaffold me cleaning up my office He had to help me make piles. He had to help me know what went where, what was keeping, what were we putting away, what needed to be filed. That it, yes, I made the mess all by myself. (laughs) And that doesn't require near the level of regulation that it does to clean up a mess, right? Like they're totally different skills. Just because I could make a mess doesn't mean I could clean it up. And I was so overwhelmed by this task that I was just frozen. I was in total possum brain shutdown and really needed, I was a grown up, y'all, with a successful business who needed my husband to co regulate me through the cleaning process. And then what I've needed to do since then is to, one, bring less stuff into my office to have better organizational systems. Like this goes here, that goes there, right? I've set up little toddler bins essentially for myself about what goes where. So my point is that adults need co-regulation too. And so if you have a teenager like I do, who's really struggling to make any sort of order out of their mess of a bedroom, It's a, they just need some more skills. They need help. And so in in my family, when we get to the point where it's like, all right, we can't go on any further. We've got to clean up your bedroom. I go and help. And I don't typically need to participate at this point, but I can still give instructions like, okay, first do this. Let's get rid of clothes that don't fit. Now let's get rid of other things that you, you know, and I can, I kind of provide the structure and the co-regulation that way. So think about that. Think about what is my kid struggling with and what's the, what's the scaffolding that they need? Where do they need more co-regulation for me? Because scaffolding is a form of co-regulation. This is what we are going to be focusing on all throughout the month of June in the club. So if you are lucky enough to hear this episode during the enrollment period for the club in June, we're going to be open through for like the first week of June for new members. Um, come on over, come join us. You can jump into the scaffolding masterclass, or if you can't catch it live, you can catch the recording. If you're hearing this sometime in the future, know that the scaffolding masterclass, and then we have, we do this other, um, second meeting a month that we call putting it into practice. And in that meeting, we do exactly that. We take that month's topic and we get practical about it. We ask lots of questions, we get creative, we get curious. Um, And we we were able to like brainstorm and like really get in there and, and help parents figure out like, what do I need to do to support my kid? So we always record those. They all, they'll end up in the club's on-demand video library, just like every other masterclass we've done since the club has started. Um, So if you're hearing this in the future and you're like, oh my gosh, I really need to learn way more about scaffolding. You can come and join us in the club because you'll be able to watch that video and then ask questions in the forum. But if you are hearing this at the beginning of June, 2022, know that the club is coming open. It's probably open right now for enrollments. Um, and we would just absolutely love to have you. The club will help scaffold you. That is what the club does. It gives scaffolding to parents. We co-regulate you. We help, help you see what do you need in order to be okay. And then we offer so much co-regulation and we do it in this very structured and boundaried format. And so I really am seriously just thinking this right now that that's exactly what the club does. The club provides the scaffolding to you. So if you thought about like, where are you struggling what's hard for you, the same things I just said about your kid apply to you too. You probably need more scaffolding. You probably need more co-regulation and that's okay. That's okay. It shouldn't be expected that we can do these really, really hard things. And simply because we know how to do them doesn't mean we can do them. Same with your kids, right? Like your kid could maybe sit down and tell you the steps of cleaning their bedroom, but could they actually do it when they're faced with it? Ah, maybe not. Same's true for us. You might be saying, like, I know all these parenting things, and I've learned this all before, and I'm really struggling to do it, to implement it, and that's so totally normal. And all that's about is needing to really grow your owl brain, have some scaffolding, get lots and lots and lots of regulation, so that all that cool information that's stored up in your owl brain, you'll actually be able to use when parenting is stressful. That's really truly. The whole point of the club. So, I hope this episode on scaffolding was helpful. I hope it helped you look at where your kids are struggling in just a little bit different ways and inspired you to get curious about what your kid might need in order for their success to be inevitable. Awesome awesome to be with you again today. I'm so grateful for you. So grateful for what you're doing out in the world and the way you just keep showing up, keep showing up in a way to help make things a little better for yourself, maybe a little better for your kids. Thank you. Thank you. I hope to see you back next week and I hope to see you over in the club. Come join us. It's a super fun place. Are you ending this episode with maybe yeah then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash beingwith, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too.